Hey guys, how you doing today? Welcome to The Real Estate Millionaires. And today I have a very special guest for you who is crushing it and has some great advice on real estate and what he thinks about 2021. And I know Matt says, don't shake the mic, Nate. Don't touch the mic. But hey, make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you ding the bell. Is that how we're going to do that? And um, so Ash Patel, he's out of Cincinnati and he's been crushing it in real estate. Uh, so guys, welcome him. Make sure you check him out. He's doing great things. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. How did you get started in real estate? I got started uh, by accident. So around 2010, uh, I quit my IT career, started an IT consulting company, and um, I wanted a way to offset taxes. So I always heard real estate was a great way to offset taxes. Figured I'd go buy some real estate. The building that I bought was a mixed-use building, apartments over a convenience store, and self-managed it, got in there, and I realized I did not like dealing with residential tenants. Mm -hmm. I don't like fixing drywall, unclogging toilets on weekends, and just dealing with the typical things that come along with managing residential tenants. But I had a commercial tenant on the first floor, and I saw them one weekend replace their entire HVAC system on their dime. Wow. So that huge yeah, pivotal yeah, moment yeah. for me, right? Yep. Um, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So <laughs> residential tenants, you got to put a lot of time and effort into. Yep. Commercial tenants. And, and they're not paying you very much rent. Right. They're paying right. you 600 bucks. You're paying for their water and sewage back then probably. Yeah. So and, four apartments, I was making more off the one commercial tenant versus four apartments. Before. He didn't call you. Never called me. Never called me. He just said... <laughs> if he called me, he's afraid I was going to raise his rent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So you bought in a great location then. It was um, a college town, um, Clifton. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So... Um, you still own that today? You know, I sold it, but I sold it to the owner, the, uh, the business owner. Yep. So it was a great win-win. Uh, yep. I held some of the mortgage, um, and he was the perfect buyer for it because it was worth more to me than it had gone. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, and that was your first deal. Yeah, man, you did good. I mean, uh, buying around college towns and didn't get uh, at least in Cincinnati, man. UC is like the fifteenth largest uh, uh, university, and uh, you know they got. I think this year they're going to pass fifty thousand enrollment. It's crazy how big they got. It was a crappy building. Doesn't matter. Yeah, new roof. Doesn't matter. You ever been to San Francisco? Yeah. All the like million dollar rental properties. They're rent controlled. They're all crappy. Because the, the landlord's like, well, I'm going to put more money in. Same thing with you. Like, yeah. why am I going to put more money in? What, you going to pay me more rent? They're like, no, just leave it alone. I'm selling Twinkies. I'm selling beer. Nobody cares. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, fell in love with commercial real estate and gave up all my side hustles and just went that is full, awesome, full time into real estate. In 2010. So you entered at the right time. Yeah. You, you just entered in. When did you dispose of that building? Probably 2016, 2017. So you, you did really well on yeah. it. Do you want to share the numbers? or? If I remember them. Um, I the IRS bought, isn't watching, don't <laughs> worry. Um, I believe I bought the building for $220, um, sold it for 460 but cash flowed all those years as well. Wow, that is yeah. awesome, brother. And then made 12% on the mortgage. On the mortgage, yep. When I sold it to the store owner. So, you, yeah, we, we've done similar things, and that's when you really start looking at your cash-on-cash cash return. You had all your cash back, right. probably, right? Yes. Then you created a mortgage, so it's – now what that does, guys, it allows you to scale. 
So you were able to scale because you're not dealing with the day-to-day. You're focusing on growing the business instead of working in the business. Right. Which is which is which uh, leads us to the next question. So what what do you, what is your outlook for 2021 and what kind of assets? And- so uh, 2021, I'm in a different space, right? So I don't do a lot of multifamily. I don't do hardly any residential at all. I'm mostly in uh, retail, office, medical, warehouse, industrial. So anything non-residential, commercial. If you look at these higher-end areas with the Class A strip malls, those are suffering, right? The, the strip mall with the Old Navy or the Whole Foods, oh, yeah, yeah. TJ Maxx. The anchors are gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those people are losing their shirt. Yep. You'll be able to buy those, like you mentioned earlier, at a huge discount in the coming months to years. You think coming months? No, months to years. Yeah, yeah, because most of them had them five-year leases, and once them start going up, and you'll, you'll see that. I think you're right, though. You'll see a big pullback in 2021 on a lot of that. Yes. Now, on those five Because, look, look, what did we just order? Look, see that, guys? We didn't even have to go to the store. <laughs> it just showed up. The store showed up to us. So what's been uh, really profitable is suburban office buildings, suburban uh, commercial retail strip malls, places that are close to home. Mm-hmm. So not in city centers, not in areas that's you know, 10 different strip malls three blocks, it's close to people's homes. So suburban locations where it's a short drive for somebody to get an office, it's a short drive to pick up food from the pizzeria or the restaurant, the the hair salon, you know, insurance place. It's all close to home. Okay, so you're looking for, um, and and tell us a little bit more about your portfolio then. Is that really what you started growing and what, what made you start going in that direction and what year did you start doing that um that's a good question i don't you, you didn't even know when you're doing real estate it's just yeah. sometimes you're just you're saying you don't know you just started buying or i just started buying um my next building after that mixed use building was a twelve thousand square foot retail building that was mm-hmm. vacant for five years wow and you know, what'd you pick that up for a foot man um so <laughs> 12 bucks a foot or um it was thirty dollars a thirty a foot. Yeah, three sixty. Yeah, it was um, amazing. It's four hundred actually. Four hundred. So and you, you put a hundred, two hundred in it. And I didn't put anything in it. Wow. It was ready to go, right? It was so, a it was a million dollar building yep. that I picked up for four hundred. Wow. Wow. Um, so you'll see, guys, that's how you cash flow. Osh has all the great systems for anybody that you have any any place for them to follow you at. Uh, bigger pockets, LinkedIn, Facebook. Yep. So make sure, hey Matt, put his uh, stuff in the bio. Make sure you guys go in and follow him. And uh, I mean, he's he's got some amazing content. He's crushing it here. Are you mostly in Cincinnati? Aren't you most of your? I am. I do syndications out of Cincinnati, and I do joint ventures out of Cincinnati. Got it. Got it. You work a lot with Joe. Fairless, yes. Yep, Joe Fairless, yep. yep, yep. Yeah. So uh, man, that's awesome, brother. So, um, what advice would you give to somebody who? You know, you know, it's like a lot of people, like how many years did you think about it before you actually did it? Probably six months. Okay. So you were quick. Yeah. But you know, a lot of people that I talk to, like they're, they're scared. And then as soon as most of them get their first deal, they're either going to be more scared or like, I'm ready to go. You know, and I say more scared because some people are just too conservative. Right. So the advice that I would give is you, you absolutely have to take action whether it's getting a few people together, 
um, investing in somebody else's deal or maybe uh, following along somebody uh, that's doing this already. Mm-hmm. You've got to do something. Get away from the books. Get away from the computer. Yep. Don't hide behind all the analysis. Get out there and do something. Show up on somebody's rehab just to see what's going on. Uh, absolutely. Take Great action. advice, man. Yeah. Great Move advice. Move forward, yeah. That's one of the things that I want to I want to show everybody this year is that, and, and you know, I don't want to not colleges or anything like that. But colleges are for people who really want. I don't have jobs, you know. I feel like if and, and jobs are okay, yeah. don't we need them? But if you have an entrepreneurial spirit, um, like Ash did, I think that was probably part of what also made you break away was that you probably already had that entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. But, you know, typical immigrant parents where I had to go the college job route, mm-hmm. and I did that yep. for years. Yep. Yep. Um, I wouldn't recommend that for somebody, like you said, that's entrepreneurial. Now, where, so speaking of that, where did, where did you guys migrate? Where did your uh, parents migrate from? So my parents are from India. Mm-hmm. I grew up in New Jersey, what, born and raised in Jersey. What part of India and what part of... Uh, Gujarat in India. Okay, okay. Is that, that's, I'm, I know those are all big it's cities. It's about the center of the country. So they're all big cities in India. Yeah. And it's like, man, crazy, massive, over a million people, people there. Yeah. Yep. And in what part of New Jersey? Uh, about 20 minutes south of New York by the shore. You know where uh, Jersey Shore was filmed? Yeah, yeah. 20 minutes from there. Is it, so like Atlantic City around there? Uh, 30 minutes from Atlantic City, north of Atlantic we City. We were doing an analysis yesterday on Atlantic City, and it was getting crushed. I saw that. I saw it's getting that. crushed, man. You found some deals, though. When you were looking, well, I I think that there, if, if if me and you were there, I'm saying, hey, I'm saying, Ash, come on, man, we're gonna pull five or ten investors together, and we're gonna crush it because you can get in up there, you know, for seventy, eighty thousand and rent these places out for fourteen hundred. Can't I don't I, I haven't seen any other markets you can get that type of return. But in your video, you stress boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. So yeah, you wouldn't do that remotely. You you can't. I mean, because it's not like you're buying a, 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 a institutional quality asset. You're buying a bunch of single-family homes. You know, it's going to be crime-ridden areas. How are you going to manage that from Cincinnati? Right. How are you going to manage that remotely? you got to be there. You have to build your own systems out, which is why what you're doing is great because it allows you to operate from anywhere in the world. You could move anywhere you want and, and operate what you're doing. Right. So do you have any um, classes or programs that you want to put out to, to help people? Because what you've done is very smart. Uh, and, and there's, you know, I mean, it's very niche. You know what you're doing. You know exactly what you're buying, what you're looking to buy. Um, do you have anything for the people that they can? You know, I don't. Um, a few of us have thought about starting just a meetup for uh, people that are in similar asset classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I'll mentor anybody who puts the time in. Yep. Right. Um, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, you know, I want to learn what you're doing. Cool, I'll teach you. Yep. But as soon as they have to put some effort into it, they're gone. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. So if, if, if you want to learn, I'll give you my time, but I'll match your effort. Yep. So I want That's to, awesome, yeah, brother. I want to see awesome. you put the work in, and I'll help you. Yeah, because your time is worth so much. And, and I'm the same way. Like, that's why I really wanted to use this platform to reach people because I don't really have time. I don't. It's not worth my time. You know, like, because I'm a math guy. I look at my time, how much money I can make, and then nobody can afford to pay me that to mentor them, but I'll do it for free. Right. You know, or we got a program that we're coming out with that can help a lot of people. Good. Um, and a lot of it, like, you give away for free. People don't appreciate it. So it's almost like and my partner, Mike, he's like, man, you got to charge them, and they're not going to appreciate it. You know, but people think it's free. So I got to tell you a quick story. I saw a podcast yesterday 
where a guy on the West Coast had, um, n- now he's got 150 gyms, but initially he started offering free programs where you could lose 20 pounds. Nobody signed up for it. Wow. And then he said, give me 100 bucks. You lose 20 pounds, you get your $100 back. Wow. And, wow. and that was his one secret wow. to success. So That's you got to charge people. That's amazing. Yeah, because if it's free. Look at that, guys. They gave me chills. You know why? Because I need to lose 20 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I will join together. But, yeah, if it's free, it's worthless. It's worthless, yeah. yeah. Well, they're giving away because it's they're giving away for free because it's not worth anything, yeah. and that's the whole mindset. So you you asked me something earlier, now I'm gonna ask you. You know, how did you figure out how to take that one building in scale, and, and do you mind sharing us uh, kind of like how big your portfolio is? You don't have to if you don't want. Um. So, in terms of dollar amount, or, whatever you want to give, you know. Um. So I would say number of buildings. Um, dollar amount, I, I couldn't tell you. And, and, and your time that you spend on that. So uh, with COVID, I figured out how to spend the least amount of time. So um, I spend as much time as I want to. I actually want to go visit all the properties, interact with the tenants, see how everyone's doing. You would never do that with residential, right? You, you wouldn't go no, hang you out. You can't. I mean, right. you got too many units. I mean, you, you start your day. By the, time you're, by the time you met them all, you'd have a new group. You know, to me, it'd be never yeah. ending. So, so you can't, because you know you got buying. You know, like we just picked up three hundred units. Yeah. And Post a happy hour. I don't know how. I mean, some of the mirrors we buy in, man, that ain't gonna be too happy, man. <laughs> you know, so. Um, so, so time. Um, that's a great question, because initially, um, I was doing it all, and I thought. Again, maybe that immigrant mentality, if I could do it, why would I pay someone to do it? And then over the years, started figuring out what my time is worth. And even if I'm not being productive in that time, that I'm not fixing toilets, it could be time you're spending it's with your downtime. kids. downtime. You're decompressing. Yes, it could be it's sitting in front of a TV, you're decompressing. Or it could be looking for deals and using your time wisely, right? But... Um, yeah, so I was my own worst enemy. Yep. And now when I put time in, it's because I want to. I want to go interact with my tenants. I don't mind going and changing some light bulbs because I might get to interact with some of my business owners and just make sure everything's good and their business is on the up and up. And that's fun, right? That's, yep. that's getting out there, hanging out with people you want to hang out with. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, when did you know that, okay, I know you took a big leap. And you did. And then, so I'm, I'm guessing your wife, she either supported you or didn't. And and a lot of people, sometimes you have a vision, you just have to go for it. But I think so many people are, um, and I want to say society conditions and trains you to work for people, right? Yes. They don't condition and train you to be an entrepreneur. Um, because if they did that, everybody would be an entrepreneur. And the system that we have, it, it would be different. So um, big corporations wouldn't swallow everything up. Um but, you know, kind of what was your, uh, you know, what catapulted you? So when I had the 9 to 5, uh, I always had a side hustle because my goal was to get out of the 9 to 5. Now, what, what gave you that? Because, like you said, you came from immigrant parents. Um, and then me, I came from blue-collar parents, similar. It's, well, hey, go get a job on a railroad, my dad. And it's like, you know, why? You're broke. You work all the time. I didn't understand it was because he was irresponsible with money. But kind of the same thing. It was, this is what you do. You go work for somebody. And so. Awesome question. 
and it's the same answer. It was my upbringing. My parents both worked for somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of immigrants started their own businesses because they wouldn't get hired. They would get discriminated against. Mm. They didn't have the right skills, but they knew a friend of theirs had a convenience store or you know a wow. hotel or something. So I saw the lifestyle of my parents continuously having to work for somebody, going to work every day, bright and early. And I saw these business owners killing it, and they set their own hours, they do their own thing, and they live large. Hire somebody to run to make the money. Yeah. So growing up... Human, human investments. It's like investing in humans, and they bring you capital. Yeah. So growing up, you know, I was exposed to that. And, you know, my parents both worked very hard for many years, but I saw what business owners bring in and how their life is much different. You, you know what's uh, uh, something crazy is that I just hired a guy that moved here from Baltimore, and he's from South Africa. And I just thought, you know why I hired the guy? Really? Because he's from Baltimore? No, no, no. He <laughs> moved to Baltimore. He's from South Africa. But the reason I hire is so when you vet somebody, for me, I don't care about, I don't really care about your experience. I don't care. I care about are you willing to solve the problem? So this guy traveled 7,000 kilometers across South Africa on a mountain bike to come across this lake. So this guy, I, I said, man, if he can do that, surely he can come in here and, you know, I give him tasks, he can knock him out. But he said, Nate, um, and this is 2020 when okay. I started talking to him. He said, you know, it's really hard for me to get a job. And I was like, why? You got an impressive resume. He said, I think it's because I'm an immigrant. And I was like, wow, I never thought, of, I never looked at him as an immigrant. Now he talks like he's from Australia, but he's from South. So, I, you know, I just thought it was cool. His accent was like, man, you're going to kind of be going in these, you know, um, I think that he'll get along great. But I didn't know that. Yeah. I really didn't know that. And this was, you know, 30 years ago, right? Yeah, but this this year, yeah. still this yeah, guy has this perception. Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, I mean, just an amazing resume. I couldn't believe that nobody had picked him up and saw the talent in him that I saw. And so yesterday was my first day, and I went down there, and, you know, me and Mike got a small portfolio of, like, stuff that we've had forever, like 230, 240 units. And he's like, man, he was like, I had us up running, like, a, you know, a thoroughbred racehorse in 90 days. So he That's gets great. it already. He already saw the inefficiencies and things that were slipping because me and Mike aren't over there, and, and we just haven't we've neglected. What stuff. a win. That's yeah. great. Yeah, so, and then, you know, that's, man, just great win-win with people. Um, I truly want to take care of the guy and show him how to do real estate, become a multimillionaire itself. Same with everybody around us. I want them all to experience the growth. And that's probably why you go meet with your tenants. It's, you know, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it is. I love communication. I love talking to people too. So, you know, um, man, you guys make sure that you go and find, you got a YouTube channel, right? Uh, I, I'm starting to put up some videos just to show people how I analyze deals. So tell them what your YouTube, uh, I believe it's just Ash Patel. You can Okay. Cincinnati. Yep. Ash Patel crushing it in Cincinnati, crushing it like they, what was that over there in Italy? They crushed them with Roma tomatoes. And the grapes. And the, the grapes. The grapes for the wine. <laughs> Can't forget that. So uh, what is your, what is your um, favorite? I think you told us your favorite property type. Um, so I don't so have one. I really don't. You really don't? Um, I don't gravitate only towards real estate. I'm just an opportunist. Mm -hmm. So I'll look for anything that makes money. I'll invest in startups different businesses. Um, I, I got into real estate because the opportunities were there in 2010, 11, 12, and so on. Brother, I got an awesome building I'm going to see if I can find. 
All right. You would know exactly what to do. It's an office building in Oakland where I can get it cheap. Okay. What's I couldn't name? believe it was like off market. My buddy brought it to me. I was like, how are you going to do that, man? What's your name? Medical. You would know exactly what to do with that, wouldn't you? Uh, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let me see if it's still available. Okay. So, um, yeah, what's next? Anything that I can make money at, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just real estate, but, um, and it's not one class in real estate. I'll do industrial, uh, I'll partner with you on the hotel. <laughs> Let's, let's do some hotels, guys. I mean, we're going to buy 100 of them this year, man. We're going to create so much wealth. And, you know, our goal is we want to give away $100 million so, you know, over the next 36 months. So we have to make a lot of money to do that, yes, right? Yes, we do. We have to at least make $101 million to do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> But um, that's what kind of drives. You said, hey, what drives? What is it that drives you? Because you're progressing. You're not staying stagnant. You're continually pushing yourself to the next level. Yeah, so just like you, I absolutely love the real estate. Now, you'll hear a lot of people saying, I love my job. No, you don't. If you won that billion-dollar lottery that just hit, would you go to work the next day because you love it? Yeah, yeah, I'd go in and tell them, I quit. <laughs> yeah. Now, so, some people may like their jobs, but like you said. But you don't love that, it. That means that. Um, this I love, yes. and I would keep doing it. Yeah, right. you would just do bigger deals, right? Yes, absolutely. Me too. I said, people say, what if you won a lottery? I said, I already have, man. Yeah. Went and bought a building for $7 million. It's worth fourteen, and I don't have to pay any taxes on it. Yeah. Hit the lottery. Yeah, again, just go and bigger. again and again and again and again. Yeah, so, I would keep doing this, yeah. Yep. Just do bigger and better right. and create yep. funds. And, because it is almost like once you get big enough, it's almost like playing Monopoly. Absolutely. It's like, okay, I think I'm going to go buy this area here and this area here. And then maybe I'll put hotel, you know, it's all, it really, once you become big, man, big guys, man, they're just like, do they want to sell the state? You know, it's almost <laughs> like they're that big. Well, ask them if they want to sell the state. They're not doing very well right now. It's, um, see the big guys. And that's why I want to move to Florida because I feel like here, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm you know. You already not, bought Cincinnati. Well, I mean, yeah, we bought a lot here and we're getting to the point where we're some of the bigger guys and. It's like, man, I got to be challenged, man. I got to go around people that, and I'm, and I'm tiny, and that's down in Florida. Yeah. If you go down there, man, you've done what we've done. They're like, dude, get in line, you know. And, and so it's, it's part of that elevation. You got to continue to elevate your mindset. Otherwise, you become comfortable and stagnant. Yeah, so which, good, good for you for not being complacent. Because you could sit in this chair all day, yeah. order people around, and make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the money doesn't drive you and me. Right. Successful people, guys... The money, when you, when, you, when you get it, if that's what drives you, you'll get to a level. Uh, and once you get to that level, then what are you going to do? But when you have that mindset like Osh, where it's just a passion, he loves doing what he does. Uh, he loves doing that. And, and so country areas or anywhere that you always wanted to buy, area that you always wanted to go to? No, wherever the deals are. Wherever the, wherever the deals at. are. Yeah. Now, I think I told you about the one a strip mall was ninety something thousand square feet. Where was it? Forest Park. Yes. You, you, that's not you. Or? Um, I don't remember the details of that, but was it uh, a repositioning of the entire? Was it a mall or was it? A- yeah, it's ninety one thousand square feet. Um, and I know I've talked to you about that. I might be able to get it to see if it's. How bad was it? What was the vacancy? Finding a six cap based off actual twenty nine percent occupancy. It's a great deal. Let's revisit that. Yeah, okay. that's a great deal. I mean, I would buy it if I had 
like the system that you had to do it. That's just, and you can crush it. You know, that's a good one. It took up two million on it. The concern in that area is just the amount of vacancy. But that's why this one's perfect because this is more going to be your mom and pop. And then it has uh, 12,000 square feet of office up space. Okay. And I already got somebody for that for you that gives it, that has a proven concept that crushes it. Okay. If he'll lease it, it'll be a low rent, but it'll, you'll crush it picking up that lease. It'll, it'll, and you come in and partner with the guy. All right, so that'll be another video. That that'll be can, another video we can after. Analyze, analyze we'll come through deal. with the hammers when he's over there <laughs> painting it and fixing it. Um, so as far as your construction, how do you do your construction? That's kind of the hard part. Are you vertically integrated? I'm not vertically integrated, but I've used the same. Who GCs your job then? I do for the most part. Then you're vertically integrated. Okay. Because if not, you know, and, and that's what we don't give ourselves enough credit because it's just like, well, that's just what I do. Like, no, you're vertically integrated if you're GC in it because you know which contractors to pick. You know how to set up the contracts. You know how to put the dates and deadlines and timelines so you're almost like an attorney, too. It's all contractual stuff that we – I don't think you give yourself enough credit for. Good point. Um, but I, I, I also treat my contractors as partners. So I've used the same guys for the last 10, 11 years. Right? And, 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 you know, I got asked that question, and I thought about it, and – it's a how do you how do you find and I thought you know what I don't even write construction contracts my guys work for right. me send me a text how much is it send me a text so we both know and that text is the contract my guys don't even send me quotes they just get it done and send I, me a I text. got guys that do that and then they and then they call me and say hey I did this and how much what's fair and we'll go over you know and, and yeah. that's the main thing is developing those relationships with people over and over and over and create. Anything you're doing in life, man, your kids, your wife, your partner, you know, random people you meet on the street, strive to create a win-win. And that is part of why he's been able to grow and be so successful. Because you look for that. You know, you're not greedy. You know, right. you have a great name out here. Everybody talks. I mean, I've been hearing your name for years. Everybody talks highly of you. All good. Come on. Yeah, everybody <laughs> talks highly of you, man. I mean, well, thank you. Thank yeah, you. I mean, you've got a great reputation and you treat people fair. And that's why I think... Part of I've seen people that were greedy and they, they just they cap out people won't deal with them. Right. So on the uh, notion of partners, when you guys were doing a lot of multifamily in Cincinnati, did you always use the same lender or did you shop that around? Well, back when we started really scaling, nobody would lend on the, the assets. So we had to be really creative. Okay. We would go out and we would go to the bank and we would get a denial letter. Because back then, nobody was doing construction the perm coming out of the 2010, 2011, 2012. Got it. And we'd take it back to the owner and say, hey, look, nobody's going to finance this. We need you to hold the paper. You're losing $10,000 a month. Let us help you out. We'll take the property over, and we'll start paying you payments immediately, and we'll give you a down payment. And we got owners. We were successful in a lot of those and getting them. And then we would go raise the capital. We would syndicate the capital for the down payment and the construction cost. And then we were vertically integrated, and then we would have a five-year disposition or a three-year, uh, and we would we would get the asset up and running and cash cash the uh, uh, owner out. Brilliant. So, but we would stop the bleeding in ninety days. Yeah. We're not losing money anymore. And I always tell people, we never sell our buildings. Now, what we do sell is the cash flow. The building just happens to be attached to that, and that's why you can make so much money in residential. We buy buildings and we sell cap rates. That's what I tell people. We sell the cash flow because you, 
the multiplier on it is stupid. Like for every dollar I capture, if I sell it at a six cap, I'm getting $16 back for that dollar that either I pushed in rent or that I saved in OPEX. Right. And one of the things that I know you're looking at doing too is have you ever been any uh, successful with any of the tax appeals and winning uh, a big downfall in the tax appeals? Always on purchase. Always. Right. And then, so give us an idea, like, what's your biggest one that you that you hit on that? Um, a strip mall that was worth a million dollars. I bought it for 620 and they had the value at around $900. Mm-hmm. And I was able to reduce it to purchase price. And it was a fair market deal, but the deal was only advertised for 30 minutes before I bought it. Yep, yep. So they, they didn't need to know that. But yeah, it, it was yeah, yeah. a fair market deal, and I just jumped on it before anyone else got it way below market value, and they weren't happy about it, but they reduced the value to the purchase price. So you saved probably seven, eight thousand dollars a year in taxes, right? Right. Then when you go to sell that, a lot of times people won't discount it, and you know you get that seven thousand for five years. That's thirty five grand. Then when you sell that off, you're getting a let's say a fifteen x on it, right? You know, that's what, seven, that's 100,000. I mean, that's a $135,000 win. That's why you guys got to follow him, follow his system. Commercial real estate is just unbelievable, especially with the cap rates compressed as uh, as low as they are, which brings me to my next question. We know we had a major uh, compression of cap rates. Do you see any time in the near future cap rates maybe decompressing? And what is your exit strategy, or are you just hanging on for the long term? So I've never had an exit strategy. Um, I've, I've had people that wanted to partner with me on deals, and when they look at the deals, they ask me what the exit strategy is. And, you know, at the time, I think I was uh, embarrassed that I didn't know what the exit strategy was, so I made something up. But really, there is no exit strategy. You just make it work. Yep. That's yep. it. I mean, mm-hmm. Make it work. Buy a vacant building, make it work. Right, so if you want to exit in five years, do it. <clears throat> Excuse me, but don't do it because you have to. Mm-hmm. Don't do it because your plan is making you. If it's the right thing to do for you, do it. <laughs> but I don't ever have an exit strategy. I just have a strategy to make things work. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Now, and I think that's a great answer because people say, "We said, well, we don't know, but you know, we usually do a five, usually do a five to seven year disposition." But depending on market conditions and what's available where I'm looking to grow. I mean, if you got things that are on autopilot, you know, why sell them? Especially right. if they're in areas that are appreciating. Yeah, 100% agree. So that's when you wake up every day, your net worth every 30 days. I don't know, you know, how often you update your spreadsheet, but when your net worth is just growing and you're coming in and every time, usually when we got to go do a new bank loan, we reassess yeah. the values. I'm like, Holy crap, man, <laughs> we picked up. That's a, you know, sometimes, man, you pick up, I mean, just, a, a seven figures in appreciation sometimes. It's like, wow. And you make money while you sleep. You make money while you sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the keys to building wealth, you probably agree with this, is you know people can go to work and you're getting paid for your time, but it's when you can get paid while you're sleeping is how you build wealth. It's how you build wealth. And I had a lady reach out to me on YouTube uh, last night. And she said, I totally, after watching your video, I look at properties differently. She wanted to flip. And after watching my video, it's like, you flip, you go do all the work, and then you sell that property off to somebody, and they're going to get all the gain. You make all your money off appreciation. 
if you can get 5% appreciation a year compounded over five years on a $100,000 property, that's $539 a month in appreciation you're getting. That was on a hundred thousand dollar property. That was a great video. I mean, it's just, and, and then what happens <clears throat> is you've got leverage. So we all understand. Well, some people don't understand leverage, but if you're putting twenty percent down and you're getting five percent appreciation, you're getting that over five times. You're getting twenty five percent appreciation on your money. Can't can't lose. On top of twenty yeah. percent cash on cash, that's forty five percent a year. I mean, you're just absolutely crushing it. And I mean, that's why you can make so much money in this market. Got to be careful, though. You've got to know where to buy it. Agree. Um, to finish the second part of your question on cap rates, if interest rates go up, yeah, cap rates will change. But I typically don't care much about cap rates. I yep. care about cash on cash. Cash return. on cash, yep. Whether, and again, whether it's you're investing in a business, a startup, or real estate, your one metric, because we all have a limited amount of cash, is always cash on cash return. Cash on cash, because why? You have a finite amount of cash. And because, you know, people always say, well, you know, aren't you worried about the market going up and down? I said, no, maybe the stock market, yeah. if I own stocks, but I'm not selling when it goes down because I got enough cash flow to say, I don't need to sell it. I'll wait till the market goes back up. Right. That's why I love real estate because you can control it. It's real. It's tangible. You can come grab it. You can even kiss it if you want. You know, over there in Indianapolis, Indianapolis 500, you know what they do after the race? <laughs> They go kiss the pavement. You know, you can kiss it. You can't go kiss your stocks, man. And unlike a stock that can go down and never come up, yep. real estate historically will always come up. So even if it, why, um, it's the building costs. Ah, okay. Building yeah. costs. So I studied since 1962, guys. Building costs have risen every quarter because what happens in a recession? I thought building costs would be demolished. But you know what actually happened? If you look at the graph, they spiked. So I had to go back and understand why. Because I said, how is it that building costs shoot through the roof when you go through a recession? I studied. I broke it all the way down. It's because all the mom and pop construction companies kind of go under, right? So you only got the big guys that are charging more. But the real cost was associated with materials. Because Home Depot and Lowe's are the biggest competitors there, they work off of um, they work off of volume, okay. right? Their volume's cut in half. They have to push the margin. And let's say they're running the seven percent margin, right? Because they're doing so much volume, that's cut in half. Now they got to have fifteen percent margin to have the same profit. Interesting. So, and they're not gonna. And you know your business. Where I'm not gonna say, okay, well it cost me seven uh, percent more, so I'm gonna charge you seven percent more. I'm going to say it's going to cost you 8.4% more. I'm going to have a multiplier on there to make sure my overhead's being taken care of. So that's what really pushed it. Interesting. And so it's it's like all these things that protect you. It's like you got this whole force field, once you understand all this, protecting you why you own that property. Another thing you look at is the area and what is the likely uh, housing that's going to be needed for commercial, which they all intertwine. The basic jobs, man. That's the biggest thing that I can tell people. We did one on Austin the other day. I don't know if you saw that video, but Austin, the basic jobs. I mean, you just there's so much demand down there. Give me an example of a basic job. Um, okay. So, let's say you go to a middle of a cornfield, right? And they and I say, Osh, man, we can build out here really cheap. We can get this. This farmer's going to give us the land for a hundred dollars an acre. 
And, you know, we got these builders, the people that can build out here really cheap. So me and you build it. We're like, oh, this is crazy, man. It would cost us $150 a square foot to build in Cincinnati plus land costs. We're 200 bucks a foot. We can build out here for 80 bucks a foot. So we build all these houses, right? In the middle of cornfield, no city around. Nobody buys them, right? And then we say, I, I know the problem. I know the problem. We need to build a bank out here. So we build a bank out there. Nobody comes to the bank, right? And we, we come out there, we build a restaurant. Nobody shows up. And a used car lot. And a used car <laughs> lot. And a new car, a, a used <laughs> car lot. And so nobody shows up because there are no basic jobs. But then what we do is we say, I know what we need. We, we need a manufacturing hub out here. So we bring in a manufacturing hub. They bring in 300 jobs. All these people got to have housing now. They got to have gasoline. They, gotta, they need a bank to go to. They need restaurants. Those are basic jobs. Got basic it. jobs bring money from outside of the community. Like manufacturing, what are we manufacturing? Brake pads. They sell them all over the world. And they have this big funnel that goes up into the cloud and brings down money. Money, come on down. <laughs> but if you're a non-basic job, then all you do is recycle the money in the community. You know, the, the guy that works at the gas station goes and eats at the restaurant. The guy at the restaurant calls the Uber driver. The Uber driver goes and gets gas. And all you're doing is recycling that money, but no new money. It's like this room here. It's like, okay, it's like, so so you are uh, like a basic job, right? Um, so what you do is whenever you have your, 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 um, your real estate um, guys get together, you guys play the board game, right? You are like a basic job because you bring all the money to the table and you distribute it. <laughs> I'll see where you're going with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Because yeah. for every job, like we just did one on Procter & Gamble over here. They created 2,800 R&D, and I'll give you a sheet. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, hey, put up the sheet to show them about the basic jobs because this is a – the most important thing you can understand when investing in real estate, that and cash on cash. You ever wondered why some people just got rich doing real estate and didn't work that hard? No. Well, then you know. It's the basic <laughs> jobs. 2,800 jobs over there they created in R&D, right? This, this new Procter & Gamble uh, research and development yeah, plan. Yeah. You know how many jobs they really created? There's got to be a multiplier 10. to that, 4. right? 10.4. <clears throat> Explain. So, 10.4 multiplier. multiplier. Now, when you drive out of Procter & Gamble over there, you drive up and down the street, what do you see? Restaurants and retail. Yeah. Well, where, where, you know, where's all that money coming from? Procter & Gamble, they're selling goods all over the world. Oil of Olay, which I use, my makeup artist, <laughs> every day. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's it, man. If you buy around the basic jobs, like right now, the key area in Cincinnati you want to buy in is Northern Kentucky. If you look at the growth chart, it's going to grow rapidly. Columbus is on fire. They're going to go from 2.1 million to 3.1 million people by 2050, which is only 29 years away. Yeah. That's a lot of growth. And so if we need this new growth, then we go and we look at current inventory. What's it selling for uh, per square foot and what's it cost to build? If we know we need to build new and it's all the way up here and we're buying down here, we're really insulated and protected and we're only going to climb. I know you don't do apartments, but the new housing voucher standard program is out or uh, CMHA, Section 8, okay. which we do some of. You know what it is this year for two bedrooms in Cincinnati? Low income is it's over 1000 a month for a two-bedroom. For a low-income housing? Two-bedroom, Section 8 voucher is now over 1000 Yeah, We just released it in January. So as a landlord, I can get $1,000 for 
for that two bedroom. Yep. That's with all utilities included, okay. right? Where before was it nine fifty one last year, nine fifty three, so it's up, you know, five percent, six percent, which you know your expenses are up too. That leads me to my next thing. Are you tracking inflation? Are you looking at inflation? What's your thoughts on inflation? Uh, you actually had a great video on that, and uh, or it, it wasn't a video. I think it was uh, some comments. It was a rant and rave. Okay, okay. <laughs> it, it was something. Um, so yes, I'm trying to. Refi, cash out refi as many loans as I can, pull money out, put it into other deals. Um, so I want to borrow as much as I can for as long as I can. Yes, as much yeah. as you can. As so guys, don't can. worry about being over leveraged on an asset. As long as you're taking that money out and being responsible. And here's why. What he understands is he's borrowing money at 2.75% and a climate where we're seeing 5% inflation. So the bank's giving him 2.25% to take their money. That's how you got to look at it. Right? Yeah, and yeah, uh, do not buy dumb stuff with yeah. the money you're taking out. Yeah, yeah, if you take money out. that's over leveraged, yeah. Maybe yeah, you, you, you speak of dumb stuff, man. I'll show you. I don't know if you're in the cars, but I'll show I've you my garage. garage. <laughs> but, but look, so I didn't buy that with money that I cashed out from the bank or, you know, borrowed money. I didn't even go get no debt. All my cars I pay cash for you know, you go do a deal, make a million bucks. Maybe I'll take a hundred, two hundred thousand, go buy me a car. Because the cars I buy are, are assets, most of them. And, and they don't lose Is that value. what you tell your wife? Shh, baby, I hope she ain't watching. <laughs> well, she, she, she agrees with me. I, I kind of showed her like, like the mathematical formula. Um, but uh, sometimes the cars don't go up in value. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. But, um, you know, you got to also enjoy life. But sure. you got to get to that level. Um, and then, so what is it that real estate afforded you? I know probably, I probably know your answer, but what did it afford you to do that you weren't able to do before? And it doesn't have to be monetary. Yeah. So it's a hundred percent. Give me my time back. We have two kids that are young and my wife works, you know, 50, maybe 60 hours a week. So when I was in my IT career, I was also doing 50, sometimes 60 hours a week. And having two kids, that would be difficult on us, right? Yep, yep. So uh, for me to be flexible with my time is worth all the money in the world. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. That time, because no matter how much money you make, if you don't have a life, um, and you asked me something earlier, I want to elaborate on that a little bit. So one of the things, turning points for me also, was in 2015, I went to Florida I thought, you know what, we'll retire down here, we'll be happy, life will be great. And I had enough passive income to do that. But after about three or four months, I got really bored. And I was burnt out because I was going so hard. I think 2013, we bought 28% of all the apartments that traded in Cincinnati. And I was running construction on that. I put an assembly line together. I thought about an assembly line, this guy does that. And we just were marching through these apartments. But I was working... 15, 16 hour days, and then I'm coming home, you know, nine o'clock at night. I'm leaving at six in the morning. I'm sitting there on my computer up until 12, doing, in, I mean, just, you know, insane research. That's how I learned so much because I researched everything, you know, STC, ITC, right? I mean, there's everything about construction. I kind of understand it intimately. Um, and uh, so I didn't want to do anymore. My partners came and said, hey, we got this 283 unit. And I was like, I'm done. I was like, I'm done. And I was like, We're gonna, you're going to make 800000 I was like, it's not worth my time. And um, 
But what I realized was that it wasn't that I didn't like real estate. It was that I was doing too much. And that's when I really learned to do only, and I was doing great deals back then. But then I was doing great deals that I had to do a lot of work. Now I learned to do great deals that you can do minimal work. And uh, to elaborate on that, you talked about this, but it's not that you don't want to work. It's you want to do the stuff that you want to do. Yep. So you don't want to sit there and do the bookkeeping. You want to analyze the deals. You want to do the fun stuff that you're qualified to do and that other people can't. Well, then then the, the people got to call you when you've got these certain problems all the time. So you, you don't want to buy them deals where you're going to have them big problems. Yeah, but what I'm getting at is you control your time. Yep, you control it. Yep. Your, your business isn't controlling you like it does in the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so uh, what, would you, what advice would you give to people? Because you're going to have to make that. Like in the beginning, it is a total commitment, right? And you're going to work probably a lot more once you quit your job, right? 100%. Right. So, you bet. And then you're going to make a lot less. Right. So how, how do you, how, what would you tell people psychologically? How do you get through that? So don't get into real estate or whatever business you're thinking about getting into just for the money. You've got to believe in it. You've got to be passionate about it. Otherwise, you get burned out. I mean, for years, we put in very long weeks, and we never got burned out, really, because we're passionate about it, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we're still here. Yep, absolutely. But if you're looking at Nate and following him and – you want his toys, you want his cars, you want his house, you want his money. But you want my not. friends. More, <laughs> and most important thing, guys, no matter, don't, don't, the material stuff doesn't matter. I, I've, I've had a lot of money. I've been to prison um, when I was younger, selling drugs. And I've always been happy. Though. Happiness comes from here. But the most important thing for me was we wanted a house to entertain because we love our friends. We love having parties. Yeah. I can't wait to have you come over and take all our money and poker. <laughs> But, you know, um, over the last year, I think people have realized that with people being secluded for COVID, you realize how important your friends are. So yeah, huge, that's a huge absolutely. deal. Yep. But uh, do not – don't get into real estate. Don't follow Nate because you just want to get paid. You better love what you're doing. Yeah, right? love what you're doing. Yeah, and if you that's truly it. love your 9 to 5, that's great. Not everyone's an entrepreneur. Now, now how's your wife? Now, she's still working day to day because she loves her job, right? She, she enjoys it. Uh, she's also – she has to have something to do, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like she would go to Florida, get bored in a week, let yep, alone yep, three yep, or four yep, months. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, she enjoys it. Uh, Great thinkers, man. They're yeah. always, their mind is always wanting to solve problems. Yeah. I got to say one more thing about the leverage to touch on that again is we've lived through a couple of those big market cycles and crashes. Mm-hmm. A lot of the listeners may not have, right? A lot of the younger folks. Yep. So back to the over leveraging, be prepared for a market crash. Be prepared for a housing crash, a 9-11, a dot-com bubble, a stock bubble. Make sure you have a rainy day fund that can get you through that. Yep. Because if you haven't lived through one of those cycles, um, it's, yeah. It's yeah, got, great point. So, guys, what he's saying is even if you're buying a single-family home and you're taking out high leverage on it, if you set aside reserves to get through the other side, which – you know, I would say, I mean, and, and guys, what we do, what me and Ash do is we, and I, and I know this because he's successful, we don't look and say, um, well, man, God, I got a roof I got to do. We budget for this stuff. We know how old the roof is when we buy it. We know how old the flooring is. We know the joists. And we know year five, 
we're going to need X, Y, Z in capital. How are we going to get that capital? Well, we're either going to escrow for it to put a new roof on. We're going to bring that to the deal initially, which is how you should be doing it, especially if you're doing larger deals. If you're doing houses, though, and you're in a tight market, that may be a little harder to do. But make sure you bring you $5,000 for each house set aside in reserves. Um, and you should be fine as long as you manage it. But also keep in mind that a lot of the success that people have in real estate is because when they do get them hard problems, they come up with solutions quick. Uh, I was reading an article a couple weeks ago, and it said that your average CEO can make a life-changing decision in eight minutes, and he lives with it. He doesn't think, uh, you know, paralysis analysis. It's, hey, look, here it goes. Here's the data. We got to make a decision. And once you make that decision, go for it. Don't keep changing. Go for it. I'm not saying sometimes you don't have to adjust, but I think it's more about making that commitment and finding what's going to drive you. For me, it was, I think, my family, I had to provide for them. So nobody was going to give me a job. I, and so for you, what really drove drove it home for you? I think it's um, a similar answer. It's I would love for my wife not to be not to have to go into work, right? And but even if you gave her that, she probably she would say, still, uh, listen, yeah, I, mean, I, I want to do this. She doesn't have to go in now, but she still does. Yep, yep. Um, I think just having that uh, financial cushion to where we don't have to worry about money, right? Um, something can happen that's catastrophic. We'll still be okay. So did she support you and see the vision, or did she think you were nuts? I think she gave me enough rope to hang myself, and I never did. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's, she's the most supportive person in the world, my biggest fan ever. That's awesome. So she would have supported me no matter what. Yep. Right. Um, and e even if you guys do fail, me and Ash have had times where we failed. And when I say fail, yeah. it doesn't have to be detrimental, but it's like that didn't turn out the way we thought it would. Right. Tell us about one of your failures and how you were able to rebound and turn it into a success. So I, I ended up getting a bigger and bigger ego as more of these deals were successful. And, it, you know, in my head, I thought no matter what I touch, it would turn to gold. Gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, there was a town called Ripley, Ohio. And I was doing some charitable work down there and helping somebody with a nonprofit. An auction came up where there was uh, a couple who was selling their entire estate, commercial, residential, you know, maybe 20 different buildings were up for sale for auction. And... You know, my big head thought, I can go in there and buy this whole town and turn it around. Well, I bought maybe seven or eight properties, mm -hmm. and I really thought that I can go in there, get businesses in there, turn things around, and I didn't understand the dynamics or the political climate of that town, mm. and I sat on those for years, and it was a bad move. Um, I was able to get out of most of them. Uh, I'm sure I lost some amount of money. I don't, uh, I don't know what the tally is. But that was where, you know, my ego got ahead of me. Um, and that was, that was a failure. Well, it was not a failure because, because you learned from it. Yes. And a lot of people go to college and pay two, 300000 You can't learn that in college. You can't learn that in a class. 
You have to experience it. So kudos to you yeah, for man. sharing that, brother, because yeah. you know a lot of people they're 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 you know they're they they can't look back and see. You know, and, and, and so when you're able to self reflect, and all of you guys self reflect on the mistakes, it's okay. Everybody that I've ever met, man, that is that have had that have massive wealth, they've all had failures in their life that they learn from. And most of them, the bigger, the more money they have, the bigger the failure. I mean, they were on the brink of bankruptcy. They were, you know, doing CPR on their self. And then miraculously, they just kept working. And all of a sudden, this building they had that they thought wasn't worth anything, somebody came in and offered. And so if you push through, you know, and it's almost like, the what's that book called? The Secret. It's like if you put them positive vibes out, always come back to yeah. so that was more like the money but it was the time that you probably had invested it was a time and uh again this could have been a much bigger mistake luckily it wasn't catastrophic yep. right i was yep. able to uh again not give up yep pivot my way out of it and so um, guys what he said is really important because ripley ohio is a little small town they don't probably don't want to see no outsiders and then, you know, probably even that, not saying, but your, your skin color, you get into them little ho-dunk towns and, uh, and people are, well, who's this guy? And, and so, um, but obviously you figured it, figured it out. And so, guys, think about that when you're investing. Are you wanted in the community? Um, we were looking at an acre down in a, in a beach town on the beach, and it just kind of feels like they don't want you in there. Yeah. You know, and, and even though, you know, kind of like, look, I don't want to come here if you don't want me. I want you to embrace what we're doing and create win-win. So, uh, you know, so sorry, this reminds me, if I had followed your advice, if I knew of you back then, I would have looked at the basic jobs. And this is why it was even uh, stupider, is that there was, a, there was two power plants closing. Mm-hmm. And I still thought I could turn these buildings around. But the people fleed because there yeah, were no basic right. jobs. All the basic jobs were leaving. Schools were shutting down, right? We were consolidating. Mm-hmm. So all of these should have been signs. Yep. But again, my. Well, you talk about by accident. You got in by you know kind of real estate, right? Right. So one of the ways we made all our money, we didn't understand it. We were buying in like the most rundown areas of Cincinnati because that's all we could afford. Then we thought the nicer areas like Bennytown and Mount Healthy and Forest Park, those were actually declining areas, and we didn't know it. Because what they were doing was pushing everybody out of the city, out of these areas, and they were basically gentrifying the area. So right now, Cincinnati has a shortage of 28,000 apartments, brother. Let that sink in. Yeah. 28,000 apartments, not just the city, but the MSA, um, for workforce housing. But where it's overbuilt is luxury, which, like you said, stay away from A-class. Now, A-class is fine. Um yeah. But those guys are buying for different reasons. They're buying because they got so much money they got a place. They got institutional money. They got right. 2% money. They're trying to get a, a, a 7% leverage return. And guys like me and you, like, what does your average leverage return look like? 40% is the minimum. Leverage, 40% leverage or is 40% cash on cash return. Whoa. Yeah. That is crazy. So how are you structuring your – and that's what's stabilized, though, right? That's yeah. not um, – it's often on entry, unless the building is vacant, right? Even if it's partially vacant, 
that's usually the minimum cash on cash that we're willing that to That is amazing, brother. That's why I'm telling you this asset class. I, I can't do that with multifamily. I can't do that with residential. No, nope, right? you can't. You cannot. I, yeah. I, I heard these residential guys complaining that they can no longer get anywhere near 20% cash. Oh, they're 12. They're trying to buy 12. That blew me away. And here I am trying to teach them how to get into commercial. Mm-hmm. And Because um, yeah, it's an untapped. Right. You you found a niche. Right. And, um, man, I really think you need to come up with a class and sell that because, man, that is, you know, you could, I mean, you could reach and teach a lot of people. I, I will I will seriously uh, look into how I could share this knowledge. But the reason it's a niche, it's harder to get financing for those properties, right? Initially, if somebody that doesn't have experience in that realm tries to get financing, they're putting yep. down 30 or 35%. Yep. After you've been partnered with a lender for a number of years, you can get it at 20% mm-hmm. and work so at So if you didn't come in making them, that's where you're at now. Yes, yes. Well... Yeah. Well, maybe no, your first no, deal was probably a home run, though. Um, historically, the returns have always been forty or higher. Wow. Yeah. Are you looking for partners? Um, I'm looking for deals. <laughs> looking for deals. Okay. That's the I bottom. Can, I can find you some deals. I, I can definitely find some deals for you because I get that stuff. I just had a big, I think, a, a, a you know, a ten million dollar portfolio that came over to me that the people built, and it was off market. And I had I had first uh, uh, dibs at it. Uh, good friend of mine, Rami. You know, Rami. I own AA Plumbing, uh, yeah. Man, good friend of mine, and just great guy. If you guys have any plumbing work, he saved my butt on a job, man. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, like you, one of the failures, right? So we go in, we're doing this project, we're going to be all in for a million eight, and it's for four million plus when we're done, right? A small apartment complex, but it's in a really area where you can push the rent 12, 1300 with high end finishes. Okay. So we came in, we start digging, and my guy, we knew that there was a sewage, and I shouldn't have done it. He said, he, he was he dug it down, and he said, man, you just need to replace all this pipe. Blah, blah, blah. This guy has worked for me forever. I said, well, man, I don't feel like pouring permits. And he said, man, I'll just knock it out. Well, we got caught. They made us <laughs> dig it all the way back up. Oh, man. So pull permits, and be careful if you're going to dig up anything underground. But it cost me 50 or 60 grand. It was probably a $300,000 problem. But... You know, I'm in it for a million eight. The building's yeah. worth four two. Yeah. It's not a big deal. I got all new plumbing underground now. Good. So selling point. So now when I go to charge rent, I won't get any more. And when I go to sell it, I won't get any more either. Because they're <laughs> going to be like, I'm selling it at a cap rate. So every time I drive past that property, I'll think about the sixty thousand dollars that I put in the ground that I shouldn't have. Yeah. Because I got one a ninety six unit over in Westwood, and Eric, and and we bought it for a million four or five. And guys, thinking about strategy. There was an offer on this building. They did a call for offers. Call for offer was a million seven. We came in a million four five. That guy was from Canada. They weren't sure he could close, but we had a relationship with the broker, and he sold them. Hey, these guys will close, and so you know relationships, and that's what me and him are building right here, um, and hopefully relationships with you guys. And that building, we ended up having two point two million in. We sold it in twenty four months for three point seven million. But I never think about the money I made off of it. I think about the hundred and forty thousand dollars I wasted doing backsplashes <laughs> in every unit and doing uh, um, tile in all every kitchen. Yeah, I always think about that. I think, man, I could have put in that plank flooring, and uh, we still would have got the same. And so it's you know when you over improve a property a lot of times. So who manages? <clears throat> excuse me, your Cincinnati properties? One company or different? 
different companies. So I, I JV'd with my partner, Matt, um, because me and Mike were looking to go out and scale. And we got all these deals. We got a thousand units over, guys, off market because we treat brokers right. We treat people right. It was a little over a thousand units that we got uh, off market. And me and Mike were like, man, these are some amazing deals. And um, some of them we wanted and some of them we didn't. We were worried that the, that the owner who built them, who was exiting, built these in the 70s and, and 80s, we were worried that he was going to just want us to take them all. And he was asking a little too much for some of them. And we start looking at the saturation and the new builds within two miles were 2,900 units coming online over by the University of Cincinnati. And it was right at the edge. And we knew that they were building all this campus housing and they were going to create a vacuum and start right at the edge. They were going to start sucking it back in. So all, they were pushing all these students out because they were doing a renovation. But as these buildings start, whoop, they were going to create a vacuum. And so we didn't really like that. But, man, you know, so I partnered with Matt. And I was like, Matt, you know, you guys, great operators. And I've known them since they started in 2012. And, um, I, you know, quite honestly, to be honest with you guys, they're a better operator than I am. But what they didn't have was a construction component. Um, and then... I ain't going to say he needed that, just a little bit of guidance on leasing and how to do the leasing. But other than that, man, they, they're great guys. So Good. now we partner with them on all the bigger stuff that we do. Um, it just makes it easy to scale. Good. And um, we, it allows us to keep our focus on the hotels. But the one that we didn't take down in Clifton, could have picked up for thirteen five. It sold a year later for eighteen seven. Crazy. One of my biggest mistakes, no less. You don't win them all. No, you don't. Well, I mean, it was, it was, it was, I, I didn't see that. Well, nobody saw cap rates were going to continue to compress down into the fives in that area. Yeah. You know, cap rates down there now are in the fives around Clifton. So, I, I sold mine at probably a 10, 12. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were buying and selling at 10, 12, but I mean, you know, when, when they hit eights, we thought, oh, here comes these California investors, man. We didn't, we, we, even at that time, that was maybe six years ago, didn't really understand leverage like we do now. We didn't understand what they were seeing. And we always thought that Cincinnati was cyclical, that the prices go up, they come down, they go up, they come down. But we weren't looking at the basic jobs and saying, hey, they're going to continue to go up because you got all these new jobs coming in. Yeah. So that is the main thing. And, you know, like I said, with 20, so workforce housing, you have a shortage of 28,000 apartments. So think about that and how that's going to transfer over to exactly what you're doing in the B area because everybody's taking all the properties and they're genderifying them and they're making them all luxury. That market will fail. And when it does, those people that are paying $2 a square foot are going to say, hey, you guys got something for $1.20 a square foot? You know? Yeah, so I'm hearing a lot of positivity out of you. Do you think we're on the verge of a downtrend with real estate? I, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. And here's why. Building costs are rising, right? And we're about to go through rapid inflation. The feds need inflation. Yeah. And they've already done it before. If you go back and you look at the charts in the 1940s and study inflation, why, why do they want inflation? They can inflate their way out of debt. Right. So right now, if they can run 6% inflation and compound that over four years, that's about 27% if you compound it. And then if they can peg the bond rate at 1%, that's only about 5%, 4.5%. So they're wiping away over 20% of the debt in four years. Everybody says, how are we going to get out of debt? Inflation. 
And then you got, um, you know, a lot of people coming in saying 15 an hour, give everybody minimum wage and put all these tariffs on everything. That's good for us. We own property. What it's bad for is people that are already suffering because everything's going to get so much more expensive. They're going to think they got more money, but they're going to have less buying power. So, guys, make sure you get prepared. Go out here and own some real tangible assets. So the biggest thing is it's hard to say. You know, if some of these jobs don't come back, and we are at 131 million jobs, we went down 110 million. Now they're saying we're back at 122, 123, which is still six or 7,000 jobs out of the marketplace, right? So we need to race and get them back. Otherwise, how are people going to pay for all the housing, right? And that's the biggest thing. How are they going to pay for the housing? But what kind of housing did them people have? And how much is that really going to affect everything? And then you have more millennials steadily pouring out that need more housing every day. So the housing demand is high. Um, then you, you want to get into talking about, uh, um, you know, long-term debt cycles. Have you studied that? No. That's going to be... Um, Matt, you're going to have to put up a graph about this because I, I want you to fully understand this here. Because here's one of the biggest things that could happen, and this could really hurt us. And um, so you have a, a chart, and I'm sorry you guys can't see this. So here's what you have. Here's your economy. Huh? You can see this here? Well, why you got a broken camera? Okay. So here's what happens. Okay. So let's say your interest rate started off. Thanks, brother. Uh, here, you can have this one. Let's say your interest rate starts off at, at, at 8%, right? The economy's doing really good, right? Okay. Interest rates eight percent, and this starts falling, right? Starts falling the economy. The Fed's drop the interest rate to seven percent. Comes down here, spurs the economy, right? And then they go to let's say six percent, then five, then you know they go to two, right? You can't. St there's no way to stimulate the economy. We're at the bottom right now. Yeah. This is what's called a long-term debt cycle. This takes a hundred years. And it runs simultaneously with the short-term debt cycle. Short-term debt cycle. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. This is the short-term debt cycle. The long-term debt cycle is here. It's at the end. Okay. So the, T, the T10 Treasury bill is already below 1%. There's nowhere else they can drop it. Banks aren't going to loan money out and not make 200 basis points. So the 2.75 you're seeing right now is the bank putting 200 basis points spread on top. So the only ammunition they have from here is inflation. That's it. They, and so if you own assets, you're good, you know, and, and why did the, why do the feds need inflation guys? Because um, the feds make their money off of GDP. So if they can't create real jobs to grow GDP, but now a Honda Accord costs 60,000. Now our GDP grows, right? And now if a, a if a burger costs, you know, $9 for now our gross domestic product, everything's growing, right? Our goods and services are growing. So, it's like you, you're in debt, and you got $22, tri you got $22 trillion uh, uh, in, in income that you're able to take, or $22 trillion um, in debt. rental property, oh. gross operating income, and we're running a 30% bottom line on that. So we're able to collect $6.6 uh, trillion a year profit, right? Now, what if we're able to push this $22 trillion through inflation up to $35 trillion, Right? Now, I say $35 trillion, and then let's say you pushed, uh, you know, to 33%. That's $11 trillion now you, have, you collect, right? That allows you to go borrow more money and go get more in debt and keep doing it and keep the, keep the, the bond. But right now, the Fed's balance sheet 
the way all that stuff works, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's a whole nother. Once you understand that, man, that is that is that is a, a crazy. I mean, you start thinking, man, if I start telling people this, man, CIA is <laughs> going to be over here. But not really. There's already data out. The way it works is the U.S. Treasury, um, they pay interest to the Federal Reserve, which is, is, is a private entity owned by, you know, it's not part of the federal government. Yep. So they go in and they buy the bonds for them. Then they pay them the interest. Well, then the Federal Reserve gives the interest back to the U.S. Treasury every quarter. So they're not really paying anything. It's just looks like it on paper. They go and buy the bonds. And then when things start upticking and there are buyers for the bond market, they try to get them off the Fed's balance sheet. So the Fed balance sheet has expanded from $4 trillion to $7 trillion last year. So that means that they're not able to sell them bonds because, the, because the, you know, who's going to buy a 10-year uh, treasury bill that pays less than 1% when inflation is 3 4 5%? You're losing 40% of your money over 10 years or 50% of it right. in buying power. So, so inflation's coming for sure. There's no way around it. There, I mean, there, I, don't, I don't see how you don't. Look, let's look. Let's look at this here. Let's look at 1949, right? Let's do it at 19 or 1940, uh, 1940 debt to GDP. Debt. Uh, pull this up, Matt. 1940 debt to GDP chart. And while you're doing that, so what follows inflation is higher interest rates. So no, 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 no. That doesn't follow inflation. No. No, the higher interest rates, and I'll explain that in a minute. So here, look. Look at this. Look at this is where we were at in 1940. We were at 120%. Look at this. You know what happened here? We were on the gold standard, right? So you know what the government did? Since we were on the gold standard, they changed the price of gold. They went and borrowed all this money, and gold was $20 an ounce. It'd be like me saying, gosh, hey, man, listen, you got all that gold over there. Let me borrow it, man, um, and borrow it, and I'll pay you, you know, 1% interest on it, and it's you know, $20, $20 an ounce, right? And then you loan it all to me, and I owe you $20 for a million ounces, and then I say, all right, guys, I got all the gold. Um, let's change the price to $35 an ounce. Okay, yeah, and then immediately sell it. Yeah, we'll pay us back $20 an ounce. Uh-huh, yeah. That's how they got out of debt, right? That's a great example. And, and Well, that's what they did. And so I, I follow this great economist, and I want to get her on my show her name is Lynn Alden. She's amazing. If you listen to her, and I mean, she just breaks it down. And, and I'm telling you, man, I've watched hundreds of hours worth of videos on the Fed. I still do not understand it at the level she does. I mean, she is just like, I got to keep watching. So sorry, I have to ask you this question. So interest rates and inflation don't correlate? So here's what is supposed to happen, right? What's supposed to happen is when you start having inflation, the government is supposed to raise interest rates to slow down inflation. Okay. And right now, are they going to do that? They need inflation. So they've already said, um, we, the first time, one of the first times ever, they came out and said, hey, we're targeting 2% in, in inflation. And then they saw it blow past 2%, and guess what they said? They said, okay, well, you got to raise interest rates. They said, no, 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 we're talking about over like a 10-year average. So they need inflation, and they know it. So they're going to let inflation run crazy. And all I can tell you is if you go back and you look at the 70s and early 80s, which I studied that, 1973, you had the oil embargo. You had gas prices went from 20 cents to a dollar a gallon. 
which took a lot of money out of a lot of working people's hands. And then you took that money and you, you threw it over there uh, to um, West when we came off the gold standard. So what did America do? They were very smart. They, they said, well, okay, well, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a deal with OPEC. We'll go over there and we'll protect all the princes and, and Saudi Arabia. We'll protect them with our military. But we've got to have an agreement. The only reason we're going to protect them is that they only take dollars to buy oil. So right now, if you're China and you want to go buy oil from OPEC, do you know what you have to do? You have to transfer that. your currency to dollars first. That's why it's called the petrodollar. That's what keeps our money strong. If, and China's trying to fight it now. China and Russia are both fighting it. So China and Russia are buying oil from outside of OPEC. But that's why they're stable, because our military's over there. That's why we're over there. We're protecting oil fields, man. You know, why are we not in Africa? They're over there slaughtering yeah. and killing people. Because we have to protect this petrodollar. Because as long as it has demand and these other countries have to buy it to buy oil from OPEC, it's strong, right? Sure. And so, uh, and there's some people that say it's not necessarily good to be that because then we don't get that flip-flop buying power. You know, we're, we can't export a lot of goods because our dollar is always, always so strong. So there's some people that don't think it's good, and there's some people that think it is good. I, I don't really have an opinion on it. I don't really care. You know, it's like, who's president? I don't really care. We're going to figure out what, you know, what our goals are and how we maneuver around the stuff that they put out there. Um, and, and so... You go back and you study what the government answer was back in the 1970s was, hey, we'll just raise uh, minimum wage. Where we at right now, guys, they want to raise minimum wage. So by 1980, you know what interest rates were for houses? Teens. 18, 19%. Yeah. But here's what inflation looked like. 1979, and you guys can look this up. My numbers may be off a couple hundred dollars, depending on options. But... um. A new Corvette in 1979 was 10800 1984, do you know what a new Corvette cost? 18000 24000 That's inflation. Okay. That's inflation compounding. So uh, the, the feds, the government had to raise interest rates to bring the economy to a halt. Because if they didn't, we would have been in hyperinflation. Nobody would, you know, you start to get 15 20%, you get runaway inflation. So the, the feds will raise it if you start to get runaway. They will to put the brakes on the economy. It starts running away. But there, I think once they start to do that, we're going to be so far past it. What's going to happen to your values? Your rent values are going to go up. Your property values are going to go up. I mean, it's going to be insane. If you owe, own hundreds of millions of dollars, you may double. I mean, the value is going to shoot up. And if you go back, they tried to combat inflation in the late 70s. The worst house you could ever go buy is in the late 70s, man. You go tear the roof off, it's three-eighths inch plywood on there, and they use staples because they were trying to keep costs down. Interesting. It's, it's insane. So for the people listening, what's the best way to play this game knowing inflation is going up and interest rates for the foreseeable future will still be low? What's the best strategy? Lock in long-term debt, yeah. buy assets, good assets that you want to own long-term, um, and Make sure that you're studying and areas are going to grow. Because if you buy an area like in, in Detroit in 1980 and everybody flees because the jobs left, yeah, Detroit Detroit still has the big three automakers, but they didn't need 20 people to build a car anymore. They brought these computers in uh, or robots. So make sure that the industries that you're looking at are really human and they're not AI, you know, or that they're building AI. 
because those are technology uh, cities are going to continue to boom. Is like you said, you became way more efficient through COVID because we are forced to. Um, I, I read it, uh, and I'll let you elaborate on what you did. But we, uh, um, a lot of these people that were baby boomers, they were going to, over the next 10 or 15 years, start using Amazon and get away from. <laughs> but they were forced to do yeah. it and learn. It was, hey, Grandma, look, man, you got to hit this button. And then she thinks, this is a cool, oh, cool, I can just get it ordered. And then why is Amazon, their stock is up, you know, I don't know, 100% or something. Because people are using automation more, and it grew rapidly through COVID. Explain to us, you said earlier that you were able to uh, become more efficient and work on your efficiencies through COVID. What are some of the things that you did? So for an office building, um, I would use tenants to show vacant spaces. Instead of me going down there, hey, here's the office that's available, um, I would use somebody that's already renting from me yep. to you know, give them a master key. Uh, let them show the space, right? Some maintenance around the That's building. That's awesome, man. It keeps That's you from awesome having idea. to make multiple But trips. you were able to do that because you know all your tenants and they all care about you and they know you care about them. Right, right. That's awesome. And then, um, you know, if, uh, if a new roof needs to go in, a plumbing job, the tenants can kind of walk the contractors through it. Now, if you have a Class A building, the old Navy manager is not going to babysit Not going your, to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, and the old Navy manager you had a relationship with might not be there anymore. Yes. So so, so these mom and pop, you know, strip malls, smaller uh, class B businesses, you build relationships yep. so you can rely on them to help you because they're partners more so than they are tenants. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so do you give back a lot of T&I or is that you try to minimize that? So um, uh, tenant improvement allowance, I don't do much of. It's not really required in this space. Restaurants, a little bit different. But um, if I've given people a white box, mm-hmm. you know, literally plywood floor, um, just a primer on the walls. And these tenants will go in there and make an incredible salon or a, a photography studio. And that's the beauty of commercial real estate. You could never give uh, a, a, an apartment dweller plywood floors yep. and primed walls. Yep. They're going to make it worse. Right? Yeah, yeah, they're going to make it worse. Yeah, cool. and, and, if they, and if they put all this 15, 25, 30,000, they ain't going nowhere. <laughs> right. Commercial tenants will literally put a lot of money, make your space better. Each time you turn over a commercial space, it's often better than when you gave it to them. Imagine, you know, I've gotten calls saying, Ash, do you mind if I remodel the bathroom? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Hell no. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yeah. after it. Yeah, get after it, man. Uh, yeah. You're going to use building materials, right? Yeah. So, so um, I had uh, my second property. There was an alarm installer, and he found out that I secured a tenant on a building that was vacant for five years. And he knew the guy that built the building. He knew the area. He comes down off his ladder, gets in my face, and says, your only job is to make sure that tenant is successful. And mm-hmm. This was, you know, 10 years ago. Wow. And those words that was great advice. resonated with me. Yep. So I'll I'll do happy hours at my house for all of my commercial tenants. That's amazing, And brother. we'll literally we'll, we'll, we'll go through marketing plans. We'll get them to collaborate on social media because I want to partner with them and make sure they're successful and that they stay That's awesome, in my brother. buildings for a long time. Yeah. Well, brother, I know we're running over, man, and yeah. I just want to thank you so much for your time today. 
Um, but if you could give to, to a new investor or somebody who's doing it one word of advice, what would it be? One word of advice. It could be anything. Yeah, it yeah. could be anything. It doesn't have to be so real estate. I, I think it goes back to taking action. And again, it doesn't mean buy your first deal. But again, show up to somebody's job site. Watch how uh, people are renovating homes. There's plenty of people that will let you go in there for free and watch. But if you do that, see if you can add value mm-hmm. to whoever is helping you, right? Move forward. I know you. a lot of you guys have done the books, the YouTube, but you have to take some physical action. And again, visit a job site, uh, attend a RIA meeting, uh, find somebody that will let you in and take a look at what they're doing and try to add value at the same time. But you got to physically move forward. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So, guys, you have your marching orders from Osh Patel. Make sure you guys go in here and follow him. Subscribe to us. Uh, like button. We're going to give you some links to some of his videos um, as he's sharing everything. Like I said, successful real estate guys, we want to give back. We want to share. Not just with our tenants, not just with our contractors, but with you guys too. Because we know maybe the mindset, the challenges. Uh, we want to see you break through because we know becoming a millionaire, a real estate millionaire, is, is, is not as hard as you think. It's very difficult. But once you get there, it's on autopilot. So, brother, I want to thank you so 100%. much for your time. And yeah. this year, let's do some deals together, I'd man. I'd love to. I appreciate all your kindness and hooking us up with uh, – He's hooked us up with some great people. I appreciate that. And I'm going to look for these two deals that I know are really great deals and start sending you deals. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Make sure you hit the like button. Subscribe to our channel, Nate Barger on YouTube. And hit the bell. And you'll be notified on any new videos that come out.